On She Goes, the podcast is brought to you by Travel Portland. Explore all that Portland has to offer, from their bustling restaurant scene to their breathtaking waterfalls and hiking trails. Check out TravelPortland.com for more information on how you can experience Portland. All right, guys, so we're back with On She Goes, the podcast. We're here today, um, Des, Rebecca, Amy, uh, Madone's not joining us, and we're going to have a guest today named Chelsea Von Chaz, who started Happy Period, which is an organization that donates menstrual tools, I guess you would say? Products. 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 Menstrual products uh, to (laughs) countries that are in the wake of catastrophe. And so Chelsea started this and she's super great. So we'll hear from her later. Today's episode is called A Do-Gooder's Guide Abroad. Basically volunteering abroad and also just making sure that you are giving back to wherever the place that you are visiting. Um, One of the things I wanted to talk about first was like some hot topics. I was reading about the American Airlines travel advisory the other day, and I was reading like the examples of things that have happened, and it's always like uh, black people getting kicked off of planes. I'm trying to understand why, because like getting kicked off a plane, number one, is like one of my biggest fears. I always have to like check myself when I get on the plane to say like, don't freak out if you've been on the tarmac for three hours because you don't want to get kicked off a plane. Because I feel like once you get kicked off a plane, you're not getting on another plane. I've never, I've never considered or I've never thought about being kicked off of a plane. That fear or that concern has never entered my mind and I'm not sure why, but I don't think about that. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's because, like, I feel like the minute you show any kind of, like, attitude or uh, discomfort with your your plane situation, they want to clap back at you yeah. and, and get you off. And, like, the FAA regulations are so unclear. I feel like I'm on my best behavior from the second I step into an airport to, like, when I get off the plane because I'm just like, I do not want to get kicked out of this airport. Don't want to get put on the no-fly list. Don't want to get put on any other type of list that nobody knows about. You know, okay, so. I'm doing a SMH. I'm shaking my head right now. <laughs> and maybe this is because my mother, I grew up with my mother working for Delta Airlines for 20 years. And then my stepfather worked for Delta for 35 years. And we actually used to have to be on our best behavior because we were flying standby. And so when you're flying standby, technically, and you are an extension of an airline employee, you kind of have to be on your best behavior. Like we used to have to get really dressed up. I heard about that. Yeah. And it was really uncomfortable. Like I had to dress fancy and wear fancy shoes. Like they had all these rules around like closed toe shoes and weird things like that it was super weird and conservative and like it's patriarchal. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's what we were used to. We were right. also used to getting stuck in airports because we'd get bumped. Just like a lot of experiences like that. And then later on, like when I started actually buying my own cheap tickets, it felt so good to go on a flight and wear sweatpants. <laughs> and like wear a sweatshirt and wear tennis shoes and be like, oh, I don't have to dress up anymore. Like I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not flying on standby with my parents. But like when I go through an airport and when I get on a flight, I feel like these people are serving me. Like I don't right. feel fear and I don't feel like I have to be on good behavior. Like when mm-hmm. I, when I'm interacting with a flight attendant, 
I ask for what I need and I get what I need. And like, if they give me attitude, I'm like not having it. Right. I don't know that I could do that. Yeah. I feel the same <laughs> so way. I'm like, oh, girl, that. you living on the edge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know me. <laughs> also, like, when I'm getting on a plane now, I'm starting to feel like, okay, like, whatever. I pay for this ticket, so it's cool. I have a right to be here. But I used to feel like, like, I hope no one notices me. You know what I mean? Like, I used to feel like I wanted to be, like, meek and I don't know maybe that's just because of my own personal insecurities and like just like not being well traveled not having a ton of experience in like airline travel but I used to feel that way and so now I think I feel differently because I'm I'm just exhausted mm. and also because I have TSA pre-checks I think I'm hot shit but <laughs> yeah like <laughs> you're one step ahead of me I don't have TSA pre-checks <laughs> right but, like, I was looking at some of the reasons, and, like, it says an African-American man was required to relinquish his purchase seat aboard a flight from D.C. to Raleigh uh, merely because he responded to disrespectful and discriminatory comments directed towards him by two unruly white passengers. Um, also, there was a woman who had a first-class ticket booked for herself and a travel companion. Her travel companion was white. Uh, her, the African-American woman's seating assignment was switched to coach at the ticket counter where her companion had a first class seat. And then there was like some other ones where like people were removed from a flight when they complained to the gate agent about their seat assignment being changed. Um, a woman and her infant were removed when she asked for her stroller to be retrieved from baggage before yeah. she could disembark. Like, I don't know, I was just like, cause yeah, travel advisories are incredibly, you know, important and they tell us like what we should do and the, the types of businesses that we should, you know, give our purchasing power to. But I don't know that this should have been a travel advisory. I feel like this should have been like a, a better business bureau F grade, yeah. you know? So like, cause I, I don't know that it is inherently like you are in a, a place of being put in bodily harm's way by traveling on American Airlines and that's what a travel advisory says to me mm-hmm. is right. like you could be maimed or killed and so I felt like this was a bit overblown on yeah. the part of the NAACP I think it should have been like a just don't give them your money give them an F grade don't use the airline yeah I yeah I, I I agree with you I was thinking about this and I was like it doesn't seem like this necessarily warrants. Do you think we're being too willy-nilly with travel advisories? I think it, it was like, it's, if it's a trash airline, call it out is what it is. Like, it's a trash airline. But, like, when I think about things like the the green book to travel and, like, people's lives were actually in danger, I felt like this was irresponsible. Mm. Uh, Amy, you have any thoughts on this? Oh, yeah. Um, I was just thinking that, like, travel advisories like this, sometimes I often don't think it's just really calling out, like, um, a specific airline. I think it's a way to say to all airlines, like, if you don't watch out, like, we're going to, you know, kind of call you out on this. And um, when you're flying, you're kind of at the whim of other human beings. Because sometimes, like, the policies about, like, who gets to stay on a flight or who doesn't get to stay on a flight are unclear. You know, like, I, I hear what you're saying about feeling nervous because, like, I always say I have one of, like, the most restingest bitch faces that's, like, ever been resting <laughs> you know so I'm always like worried that like I have a I gotta like fix my face so that I don't look like I'm trying to be rude um because like if you kind of make somebody upset you can be kicked off of a flight and, and that can be more than like an inconvenience you know like what if you miss something really important or you miss like a, a layover that you can't get later so I think I, I do understand like your apprehension about trying to be on your best behavior because you kind of have to like not be yourself. And I think that's what's like uncomfortable about 
flying sometimes in, in this day and age. Yeah, I agree with you. I um, I just always want to know, like, what can actually get you kicked off of a flight? Well, I, I mean, an easy, an easy one is smoking, and oh, yeah. um, I, I think another one I, I know of, I have heard a story about some friends getting in trouble for being too overly affectionate on a flight. Oh, so um. Some little action. Oh, so, did you hear about that one? This re- that's recent. Go no, ahead, sorry. no, I haven't heard about, about that. The, did you hear? There the was like a. Wife? No. Oh, that was a good one too. <laughs> that was really good. There was one. Um, there was a flight from L.A. to some. I think Chicago, maybe. And it was like a 28 year old guy and like a 50 something year old woman, mm. and like she was giving him head on the on the plane, and they didn't know each other. <laughs> they just happened to be sitting next People to each are other. People so freaky. Well, and they didn't know each other. That's that's wild. Well. Um, <laughs> Um, on my flight back from Texas uh, about a week and a half ago, there was a really good looking dude sitting next to me and he had brought his um, vape pen on the on the flight and he was smoking it. Uh-huh. Are you allowed off? to do that? No, you're you not, not allowed to do that. No. He could have gotten kicked off, but he didn't get caught. And I don't know. That tripped me out. I've never been on a flight where that has happened That's before. That is insane. There was yeah. another flight recently where, um, it was like Qatar Airlines. I think so. Where um, a woman discovered that her husband was having an affair while they were in mid-flight. She used Touch ID to unlock his phone. While he was sleeping <laughs> with his finger. <laughs> she what? went through his text and found out he was having an affair. <laughs> and she just started like pummeling him in the seat and they had to pull the plane over. Like they had to do an <laughs> had to pull the plane over. They had to do an emergency oh landing. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's crazy. That'll get you kicked off. I just, I just want to ask you guys one question, Sarita, Amy, mm-hmm. and Rebecca. Just because I'm not identifying with this like feeling of being, I don't know, not yourself, and like being fearful, fearful, and kind of feeling like you need to stay in your lane, literally, like when you're on flights. Yeah. Is that all coming from like a certain experience you guys had where like a negative one where you kind of felt a little bit f- afraid of getting kicked off or is that something that you grew up with your parents being like this is how you behave on a plane I think it's just an overall of how I was raised of like the seen and not heard you know I, I would have gotten in so much trouble if I were drawing attention to myself in a public space mm-hmm. that is occupied by other people and other people are in a comfort zone I it, it makes me feel sad that you guys feel that way a little bit. Just because, like, first of all, you deserve to be there. You bought a seat for that flight. Second of all, getting through TSA, I don't care how stringent the rules are. If those fools are being rude, like, there is no excuse for that. And maybe this is just, like, some closeted entitlement I have because my parents work for the airlines and I've been on the other side of it and I know, like, what my rights are or I I think I do at least. Mm -hmm. But, like... I just won't stand for like an attitude from airline employees. I can't, I can't, I can't take it. Right. No, I, I mean, it's not like I'm walking through the airport with my head down. I'm just saying like, I'm not going to like cause a scene or anything. So many things can go wrong and they can like stop you from boarding a flight for such arbitrary reasons. They can do it for literally anything they want now. So I just don't want to necessarily feed into that mm. and give them any reason to like be an asshole to me personally. Yeah, I hear that. Um, do you guys want to talk about this uh, fruteria? This, uh, <laughs> this young lady's. Um, does anybody want to tell us what it is? Well, if you haven't watched the horrific video, I actually haven't seen the video. Well, it's probably it, for the best. It's just this like it's this woman. She lives down in San Diego, and she 
um, did a Kickstarter so she could open up her own um, fruteria in um, San Diego. The Kickstarter video is pretty, pretty terrible. And it's like the skinny white woman that is really tan and probably does yoga like five times a day. And she was like talking about her love for Sayulita, which is a well-known destination in Mexico that a lot of white yogis go to. She was saying in her video that she's going to be bringing health and wellness to the barrio and <laughs> basically taking the concept of a fruteria like a Mexican fruteria and opening up her own version of it which includes like smoothies with a lot of kale and whatever in them like health bowls and um but the way the the video is set up and the way she framed it is like I'm going to be bringing this new flavor into this colorful up and coming neighborhood like basically, like so. This is a this is a Latino neighborhood pri primarily, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm is. looking now. And it was a really strong example, I think, of like this bullshit ass white savior attitude and this like white female privilege coming into a dominantly brown neighborhood and just staking claim on opening up a small business that is going to be competing against actual business owners of color that have been doing this for however long. It was just like a really shitty example of um, gentrification. Mm. So is she basically like opening like a like a smooth, cause this looks like a, a what's it called? Acai, Acai bowl? Acai bowl. Yeah. A little bit. Like, so she's basically like opening up a smoothie shop and calling it a fruteria. So it was a Kickstarter. <laughs> and okay, this, this made me mad. Cause I read it and I was mad before. Um, but for, if you had donated $500, like, it said, two Aries, un big deal. Stop. I swear to God. What? <laughs> right now. So messed up. Wait a minute. <laughs> what? I've, I'm with you, Des. This is just atrocious. Okay, so our topic today is basically like volunteering, doing good abroad, uh, when you're traveling, giving back to the places that you're going. Um, and um, I've been seeing a lot of this. This actually hit me in the face uh, a couple of months ago, but there's a party in a small um, town in Thailand called Hod Rin. Uh, I want to say I make sure I'm saying so it spells H A A D R I N two words, um, and uh, it's a full moon party where everybody comes to the, this beach and literally like this is the only thing that happens in this town. It's like once a year where everybody comes to this beach and they have this crazy all night debaucherous party, and then everybody leaves it looking like so bad and so disgusting and it's super sad because it's like even though these people's businesses are being patronized while they're there it's literally they like leave it a wasteland and everyone who is actually living there is forced to like clean it up um and it just kind of made me think about like this like these things happen and it's such a shame and it's like I don't know if people are talking about it like it's worse than this picture but it's basically like strewn with like Glass bottles, beer cans, condoms, like, mm -hmm. used and, like, like just trash everywhere. Like, it gets real disgusting and real debaucherous. And, I mean, it's, uh, 
It's majority, like, spring breaker age kind of people. Um, I mean, people are saying that, like, tourism is basically destroying this town. You know what I mean? Like, this super small town, like, tourism is just, like, completely ruining it. I have have to think that there's got to be some point at which they aren't breaking even because the cost of cleaning it up... um, not only from a monetary perspective, but from like a an environmental perspective, is like much more than the money that they make on it. And I would be curious how much of the proceeds or profits from this they actually get as a country, as opposed to whoever is promoting and organizing it, who might not even be from there. I mean, I, I also just like feel like, in addition to dealing with the cleanup, I mean, I imagine you're probably dealing with a lot of really drunk, belligerent tourists as well like the people like in the businesses and the restaurants and then like the hotels and stuff like that. I mean, that has to be uh, that. I mean, that to me is like a huge part of it, too. It's like you're bringing that negativity, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and entitlement. Um, Amy, you mentioned that uh, you took a trip to China and Bangladesh when you lived there and you were volunteering as a teacher. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, Yeah, sure. I was in uh, China for a year and I was in Bangladesh for a year and a half. Um, and it was just one of those experiences that there are definitely moments where I didn't want to be there because <laughs> it was it was hard and challenging. Um, but also it was one of those things where like I learned so much, not just about like myself, but about the world at large, um, that it was just like one of those experiences that I, I would never give back, even, even though it was really hard, like especially when I was in Bangladesh, it was very hard on me. Um, and in that, in those two experiences, like I did it through, um, one organization. And I think that when, if people are thinking about, um, sort of doing volunteer work abroad in that capacity to do as much research as possible, um, when I was doing it, like I was being paid like a really small stipend every month. So it wasn't like I was making any money off of it, but, you know, I think when you look into organizations like that, it's really helpful to talk to like returning um, volunteers to see what their experiences were like, um, how their stipend, um, whether or not it was like enough for them to live off of, whether, you know, housing is included, whether they had time off to, um, you know, go on trips on their own. Um, But also outside of like the extracurricular stuff, but like how was the experience like, in their volunteer site because sometimes it can be um like you think you're going somewhere to do something great and then you realize that you don't have that much work to do or like the work that you're doing is kind of for show and it um it's it doesn't really impact like the people who you're hoping to impact um which isn't to say that completely happened to me but I've heard it happening to other folks like I have a, one of my best friends she did um Peace Corps in Mauritania and I sometimes think that like these types of experiences are more about enriching the person who does it more so than like the community they're supposed to be working with. So it's just one of those things of like managing your expectations and doing enough research so that you know what you're getting yourself into. Because I know that when I did it, I had like these really wide eye, like naive notions of like changing the world or like, you know, being somebody who can contribute, um, something back because my parents are refugees. So I was like, well, you know, like I had the the fortune of, you know, being born and raised in the States. So I wanted to give back to this larger community. But I definitely had um, some of those like ideas knocked out of my head because of of how 
volunteer organizations are run sometimes abroad, especially in developing countries. Um, but like I said, even though it was really hard and kind of terrible sometimes, I, I really loved it. And it kind of like made me who I am today. I know it sounds cheesy. Um, and I think that if anybody's interested in it, they should just do like so much research and go into it with like realistic expectations. You know, I was um, <clears throat> I was reading because speaking of like saying like there's like a lot of companies who make profit off of it in developing countries. But I've heard a lot about paying to volunteer abroad and like whether it's worth it or not or whether that's like necessarily a good thing, because there do there are there do seem to be some organizations where you don't have to pay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To volunteer. But then there's a lot that you do. Uh, I don't know. On one hand, it seems weird that you would have to pay to help people, but if that money goes straight back into the organization and helps them, you know, further whatever they want to do, then it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It just inherently seems weird to have to pay to then help also. It seems like you are given money twice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's true. I mean, sometimes you have to pay, I think, to, um, so that they can have, like, housing and stuff like that. So, like, the amount that you pay yeah. doesn't equate to defray the cost. That gotcha. makes sense yeah. to me. Yeah paying towards um, your accommodations. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's hard to remember when you are traveling, and it, it's something that has to stay top of mind to say, like, when you, even when you're going on vacation, to think, like, we should do something to give back, you know, to keep it on the forefront of your mind. I mean, maybe one thing for vacation, like volunteering abroad is, like, or giving back to the community is before you leave, maybe look into shelters and things there that might need things. Like, you know, if you have That's some smart. spare time during your trip, you can easily, like, maybe hit a grocery store and, you know, donate some food or donate your time even. Uh, and well, I think you could always, like, Depending on where you're going, like finding foundations or organizations, whether it's like preserving a certain historical site, like that's also another form of giving back essentially because you're helping invest back into a special part of a city that you're going to mm-hmm. and giving back in that way. I don't know, just mm-hmm. some other things to think about. Speaking of giving back, um, Chelsea, are you dialed in? Yay! So first, I'm just going to introduce you. This is Chelsea Von Chaz. She started Happy Period. Um, And uh, I want to ask you a few questions. First, um, Chelsea, thank you so much for being able to dial in and talk to us. Of course, Um, yeah, yeah. First, tell us a little bit about Happy Period, when you started it, and why you decided to start it. Sure. So Happy Period is my charity. It's a nonprofit organization that I started about two years ago. It'll be three years this coming February. And I decided to do that after I witnessed a homeless woman in Hollywood crossing the street and she had a bunch of like period stains all over her and her bottoms. We have like a, well, we have a huge uh, houseless or homeless um, situation or issue in California as a whole, but definitely in Los Angeles. Um, However, you know, we just never really think about as far as, you know, pinpointing the homeless experience, especially when it comes to a homeless female. So, yeah, I mean, that is pretty much how I got the idea. And, you know, because it just stems from the the question of, yeah, if you're homeless, like, what do you do when you when you get your period? I mean, just because you're homeless, homeless, it does not mean your period stops or whatever. So that's how the idea came to me. So our mission is to provide menstrual products to anyone who would 
pretty much go without their essentials for their period, uh, for whatever reason. If they're homeless or houseless, low income, uh, displaced because of a natural disaster, like a hurricane or earthquake, whatever it is, um, and we're also inclusive. So if you identify as a female or if you don't identify, identify as a female, you identify as a trans male, um, but you still have a period, um, we would still provide that for you. Okay. What was the first uh, trip that you took to with Happy Period? You know, were, were there any like major natural disasters that you came to the aid of or anything like that? What was the first one for you? Yeah, so the first one has got to be with Houston, um, since that was definitely like our first, the first natural disaster that happened since we've been around, since we've only been around for two years. And unfortunately, like so many, so many other things happen on top of each other or right behind each other because you had like Harvey, Maria, Irma, then Mexico had their earthquake. Um, and then, you know, like Puerto Rico and U.S. Virgin Islands, like they're still, unfortunately still struggling and um you know in need of relief and and aid and um i had already planned to go to haiti so houston ended up being like our first one where we decided well i decided that we're gonna go and and be on the ground and pretty much do the same thing we do in LA, Chicago, Atlanta or wherever with the homeless because um, with our initiative, like we do street distribution and we do volunteer events that, you know, enable everyone else or people who volunteer with us, like they can actually physically make kits and go hand them out to people or drop them off at shelters um, or pass out at a shelter. So that was definitely, you know, an experience because, um, I mean, Houston is strong um, and they definitely bounced back however you know we have a lot of middle class people who are definitely struggling to get back on their feet you know um there are a lot of folks who can't live in their homes because there's mold you know they don't have anything so they're living in trailers or they're living with relatives or they're living in hotels so it's definitely like a financial you know straining on someone who is physically all right but you know it's just the process of recovering that seems to be something that's very common in Houston. Mm -hmm. And how do you get funding to uh, take these trips to help people and like do you take donations or what is the funding situation like? Yeah so I mean that's pretty much you know, it kind of just comes when it, well, unfortunately, well, it's not unfortunate, but when a natural disaster happens, from what I've learned, um, a lot of funding just kind of comes in from all over the place because people naturally are just kind of in the mode to just give and do something, especially when they cannot contribute their physical body somewhere. So yeah, I mean, with Harvey for us, I think our situation was a little special because a lot of things happen without me even asking for them. So we got a lot of donations, we got a lot of press. I think like a week or two after I had tweeted and uh, put on our Instagram about our Houston chapter, you know, someone included us in like a Huffington Post article and they attached our link to our Amazon wish list. So that brought in like a lot of overwhelming response of physical donations. So we got mad boxes of whatever was on the Amazon wish list, um, which is specifically all like menstrual products for the most part. You know, I decided that my whole thing was I didn't want to be one of those organizations that just shipped boxes 
And, right. you know, I was like, that's just not really my thing. So um, when, once I got a little bit of funding, I asked our Houston ambassador, like, are you able to take, you know, all of these boxes? And if not, let me know. But I'm going to I'm thinking I'm going to come down there. So I used so I used some funding. So me and another volunteer could fly down there because she sent me a picture of her living room and her living room looked like a storage unit <laughs> because she had so many boxes to donate to distribute. So from that first experience of going down there and dropping donations off at distribution centers or donation centers that were across Houston and from that I connected with more grassroots movements or organizations down there, uh, local groups and churches, like I was happy you know, and I felt like I made the right decision because at the end of the day, they have all these boxes, but they need bodies, they need hands. And, um, and that's why I decided, you know, to just not go down there once, but we went back because we had more donations coming in. And, um, and I got word that, you know, as time went by, less and less people, you know, would show up to volunteer and to help out. We were able to um, distribute uh, 75,000 tampons. And that's between some shelters, uh, a couple of high schools and um, two churches. Nice. Right. Um, so, you know, we talked about the difference between traveling to volunteer, traveling, you know, traveling to give back versus traveling for vacation. And like, obviously you're traveling to give back a lot. What is that like for you? Is it is it more exhausting? Is it is it just a feeling of like accomplishment or like draining? Is it stressful? Like, how is it? It's not draining nor stressful. For me, it just feels regular. It feels normal. If I'm, I guess, vacationing somewhere, I would get bored easily if I'm not doing something that I like to do as far as if I'm not interacting with the people, if I'm not helping or giving them something, if there is no like you teach me and I teach you like some type of exchangement, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> For me, it's um, it doesn't feel like no type of like negative emotion or feeling, even though like, you know, draining is not necessarily like a bad thing. No, yeah. And of course, like there's always some downtime that you will have when um, when traveling. But um you know, because I think giving as far as um, abroad, it doesn't have to be in the form of you physically like giving somebody something. I think like you can be like when I was in Haiti, I was like this uh, boy I met was teaching me more of like the Creole French. And in exchange, I was, you know, telling him, you know, certain what certain things mean as far as like what we say or how um more of how like when our culture like the things he hears in music like what does that mean like he asked me what does keep it 100 mean what does that mean you know like that <laughs> when I thought it was hilarious but I was like oh well it means you know uh, like be for real be be honest like all the way brutally honest and he's like oh okay so I mean that's like more of my type of thing as far as an interaction like it doesn't have to really be you know you physically like giving someone something which in the end is all it's also cool as well um, because because there are always people who would, you know, let you know, like, what they need or what they look for, especially when you ask them, you know. So it feels good. I'm headed to, um, to Kenya Wednesday, and um, I'm going because a friend of mine is getting married. Oh. But um, she, you know, talked to me and hit me with the, well, I already know you're going to be gone for a day or two doing what you do. And I was like, you damn right. Like, that's just <laughs> what I do. Um, my thing is though, I think, um, what I've decided to do like from the Haiti trip and then going to Kenya, um, and then I'm going to like 
make a pit stop in Tanzania. I just want to, I want to get a feel for how women menstruate, but more so women of African diaspora, like how women in all these different locations, all these different places, like we all, like everybody bleeds, but as far as how do they deal with their periods? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, what do they use? Um, how do they react to it differently? Like, you know, or is there some type of like cultural thing that, um, or tradition that happens, you know, when they get their periods or, you know, that they switch up their diets, like how do they handle their periods? Like whether mm -hmm. it's the foods that they eat or anything that they, you know, kind of intake, like what's the most common thing. So, um, uh, Luna pads like donated these cloth pads, um, to happy periods. So I'll be like, you know, giving the women, um, cloth pads oh, nice. and also, you know, showing them like what a tampon is because a tampon is not a common thing, um, in a lot of, uh, a lot of countries. Um, and there's some countries that are actually illegal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just definitely going to like document that and just share with people, especially with women who are, who live in, you know, places like America, um, especially here where we have all these options. And, um, when we think of giving back, we still think of like food, water, clothes, blankets first, but periods is kind of the last thing that we think about or to donate a pad or a tampon is the last thing we, we, we think about. Um, and that's something I also learned from being in Houston because we show up at these warehouses, they have plenty of everything else, but we're the only ones there that's bringing them pads and tampons and wipes. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited. That's gonna be the next thing that I'm documenting that I'm gonna, I'm gonna share with everybody. Nice. Uh, Rebecca I had a question. question. Yeah. Just wanted to first say uh, thanks so much for the work that you're doing. It's so incredibly important. But um, how can our On She Goes listeners help? How can they get involved? Sure. Um, well, first thing I tell people, like, there are menstruating women or females everywhere. So the first thing that you can do is just donate to your local shelter because it's highly likely that they need uh, donations. Um, if you are interested in donating product, you know, that you have at home laying around that you don't use, you can ship it to us. Our uh, mailing address is on our website. You can go to, uh, it's hashtag happyperiod.org is the website. And that is also where you can make a monetary donation. We're really heavy on social media. So from Facebook, Twitter, and especially Instagram, uh, we are Happy Period. It's the Instagram or Happy Period Org on, um, on Twitter. And we'll have a link um, on our podcast page um, for okay, Happy cool. Period. So people will be able to click on it and get to you directly. Um, and uh, yeah. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you. Really thank appreciate you so much. it. No problem. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Chelsea. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. That's such an awesome cause. That is true. Like, it's a period is like the thing that, like, it's like one thing that you can count on. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like guaranteed. And then it's just like, but the ascent, and it's essential, but... You know, a lot of people don't have those products. That's really awesome that she started that organization. It's yeah. amazing. That's really good work. And yeah. we'll be sharing the wish lists and stuff. Yes, yeah. we're going to share the Amazon wish list. We're going to share um, the website and everything where you can donate and get involved and also get more information and also the social channels. So we'll have all of that up there. Um, and uh, so in closing, I want to talk about uh, holiday travel. We are... Uh, about to embark on Thanksgiving 
and I know that the, ho- the holidays, the holidays, as I call it, D A Z E, is about oh, to yeah. hit. Yes, it's about to sl- slap us dead in the face. Um, and uh, I always think about holiday travel um, and just in general because when I lived in New York, I would go from New York to Philly, and it's a short trip. It's a two-hour drive, but it was always like a five-hour drive during the holidays. It's just crazy. It's a mess. It's it's the worst. Do you guys have any uh, stories of holiday travel? Do you have any tips for yeah. holiday travel? I have a tip. What's that? Uh, double check your the size of your luggage. If you're taking a carry-on only, double check the size of it. Because I recently took a suitcase as a carry-on that I was like 70% sure was the correct size for carry-on. And... Me and the ticket agent even measured it in that little box thing that they give you. It was like right at the line. And I got all the way through TSA and I got through the gate and I got onto the airplane and there was like no space open in the overhead. So here I am trying to negotiate a space that I'm praying, praying, like, please let this suitcase fit right now. The flight attendant comes over and she's like, that is just way too big. And she made a big old deal about it. And I was like, look, we measured it. And she's like, that's just way too big. It's way too big. It's way too big. We need to check it. So I like hand off the suitcase and I made sure to get the claim check from her. Well, sure enough, lo and behold, my bag did not make it to my final destination. I got stuck in Denver for the night. So story, lesson learned, uh, take a really small carry on and don't push it. Mm hmm. I was on a boat bus one time and there was someone sitting next to me and I guess uh, she was she was like just driving down also to Philly for her Thanksgiving dinner, but she had food to make. So she made food ahead of time and brought it. So, I mean, she literally had two large ass pans, one, <laughs> two, two large, like, what are those, uh, like, uh, aluminum pans? Yeah. One was mac and cheese and one was greens. And, like, the thing about it is, like... <laughs> The thing about it is, like, if anybody knows green, like, greens, you kind of have to put in, like, a Ziploc or, like, a really certain Tupperware. Because they spill. I mean, there was greens juice, like, all on the floor. Like, it was, and we were sitting, like, back by the bathroom. And all I could think about was, like, these people are going to eat this food. (laughs) They don't know it's been on this bus. They don't realize it's been on the boat bus. (laughs) (laughs) And, like... (laughs) Granted, I mean, it's only like a two-hour trip, but we were stuck in traffic. And it's like we're biting people. Like, the bathroom smelled horrific because I had a terrible seat. And all I could just see, like, you could hear the greens, like, slot. It was the worst. Like, first of all, how did you get to the Bolt bus with two large pans of mac and cheese and greens? (laughs) I don't know. How about you, Rebecca? You got any? Um... I guess my tip, and it's too late because it's like two weeks before, but um, always uh, plan early. Uh, You can save hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Now that we live in Portland, like it's way more difficult to get back home to Chicago for the holidays than it was when I lived in New York. Um, And the ticket costs three times as much. Mm -hmm. So it's just like buy it early. Um, It wasn't as bad as it was last year when I waited. is this, does this cover Christmas, too, or just Thanksgiving? We can talk about Christmas. Um, <laughs> I, I have a funny family story about opening presents, but it's not about travel at all. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so one side of my family is, like, highly religious, um, and they were also older at the time. They both, like, since passed on. Um, and so, like, my grandfather and my great-aunt. And we were opening presents, and, like, we had our Christmas playlist going, and uh, I think I was just about to open something, and like 
I just hear the first opening chords of Trick Daddy's Can't Fuck With The South. And if you know that song, you know it starts with like 20 seconds of like really deep piano and then it gets into like really explicit lyrics. So I'm like, we have 20 seconds to turn the song off before it starts. And then like, so like me and my brother like motioning to my sister, like Janice, turn it off, turn it off. Like it's supposed to get real, real in here. And then all you hear is anybody want to motherfucking die? Cause that's like the first, <laughs> first words. <laughs> <laughs> while we were opening presents and like they just looked so appalled and disappointed and I felt so bad and like sadly that was one of the last Christmases like that they were alive oh we felt so bad but like crazy. I mean we laugh about it now but like at the time we were just like damn why didn't you just turn it off <laughs> it was yeah so that's my oh Christmas my story oh my gosh Amy how about you do you have anything for the holidays yeah um, so I think that like often when we think about holidays, we think about like fa- family obligations, but I, th- I think that we need to remember that it's also a holiday for us, you know? So, um, I think about like self-care and if you're going somewhere, like how do you perform self-care? So to maybe pack some sheet masks as they're like portable and they're tiny and they won't take up that much space or even pack like a, like a small tube of, um, like a clay mask. I noticed that like this clay mask that I bought, I didn't realize this, but it's actually 3.4 ounces. I think they made it that size so that I could put it on my carry-on and not have to worry about it. Um, and then also, like, to let your friends know beforehand so that you can get your group chat ready in case um, some shit goes down and you need to vent. Ooh, I like that one. That's, <laughs> then, That's uh, a good one. That's a good one. About, <laughs> and we're thinking about Christmas, like... Always like underpack before you get there, so then you have extra space for all like the the booty that you're gonna get mm-hmm. to bring home. You know, like uh, all right. the presents. Um, so whenever I fly from Mississippi back to Portland, I always underpack, and I also pack this duffel that I put into my carry on because I know that I'm gonna bring hella shit back to uh, here in Mississippi. Um, but definitely, I think that like remember to take care of yourself because like you're gonna be so inundated with like the family drama probably um that sometimes i think we forget to do that those are good ones i love the face mask and i always pack a a bottle of multivitamins and some sort of probiotic because that stuff doesn't exist in my grandmother's house and (laughs) i'm gonna need both right i'm definitely gonna need some tums or something like I always feel like such a weirdo when I, I bring probiotics too, like the little pills, and I, I put them in my parents' fridge, and they're like, the fuck is this white powder shit here? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm taking care of my digestion, you guys. Right, because it's like you eat differently when you're home. Oh, you yeah. sure do. Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, man, I mean, it's so good that I'm looking forward to it. One of the things that I always laugh about Thanksgiving is the prayer when it comes time oh, for prayer. Yeah. I don't know why. My family just can't do regular prayers. Mm. And like every year, the prayer, and somebody ends up getting looked at like this, like with the one <laughs> eye open, like, shut up. Because like somebody's <laughs> laughing at the way they pray. But it's like everybody, we, we got to have this prayer. And it's always like so over-exaggerated. And like people have now graduated <laughs> to praying for a baby for me. And they it's like, it's just like, it's just like the prayers of like, and hopefully, Lord, one day soon. Uh, Sarita, and I was like, come on. Like, give wow. me a break. So, that is hilarious. <laughs> please become self. Like, my nan always prays for like self sufficiency for her grandkids. <laughs> so, I don't know. That's funny. Nana well, has good priorities. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, again, feel free to write in to us at hello at onshegoes.com. Let us know what you think. Um, definitely don't forget to check out Chelsea Von Chaz and Happy Period on our podcast page on onshegoes.com. And still follow us at onshegoes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, and uh, if you guys have any holiday tips or traveling tips or anything like that that you want us to talk about, please feel free to uh, write into us. And uh, that's it. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.